Well, game day is almost here against the Cougs at Autzen Stadium on homecoming, and I feel really confident about the Ducks, and we're looking at that matchup today. Here we go. You are Locked On Ducks, your daily podcast on the Oregon Ducks, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Yes, it is that time once again for Locked On Ducks. I'm your host, Spencer McLaughlin. Thank you so much for making this your first listen or your first view of the day. Part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day and your number one source to stay up to date with the Ducks. So if you have not already, like, comment, subscribe, rate, review, please and thank you wherever you listen to or watch the show. We're getting ever so closer to 4,000 on YouTube. And I believe that we can do it before the Utah game next week. So thank all of you. Today's episode is brought to you by FanDuel Sportsbook, official sportsbook of Locked On. Make every moment more right now new customers can bet five dollars and get 200 in bonus bets guaranteed visit fandle.com slash locked on today to get started we're making the most of our show today with eric scopel 24 7 sports and the Otson audibles podcast duck territory all that good stuff many of you know him and eric am i at all off base for feeling confident in the ducks like unusually confident i i always have this wary sense of feeling confident in in the Ducks, but I feel really good about this team going into the matchup with the Cougs. Yeah, is it a trap? Is that what you're worried about? Yeah, that's exactly that's exactly what I'm worried about. That it is a big, giant emotional trap. <laughs> I feel really good, and I and, and maybe that is the problem. Our, our consensus, we did our our game picks this this morning over on the Odds and Audibles. All all three of us consensus was Oregon covers, and we'll see. I mean, I think we all feel. I think everybody who kind of is around these programs gets a sense of like Oregon especially this week at practice and everything that was said, like it just seems like they're playing with a, a chip on their shoulder. There's a level of anger. There's a level of frustration and all that boils over. I mean, Dan even said on Tuesday, like they had to kind of calm guys down because they were a little too juiced up and they were need to focus on, on things. So I think you like hearing all of that. And then conversely, Washington state, like there are different ways to lose games and they have, I think completely different impacts on a team psyche. And I just think when you like for Oregon, you lose, you come out of it going, man, there were so many small, like minute things. That if they go differently, the results differently. Like, I don't think, I don't, I doubt Oregon came out of that thinking like, oh, we can't play with Washington because they clearly showed for four quarters they could. Um, and that like, hey, it could have been a different outcome 40 different ways. Like I, Washington State has to come out of that Arizona, Arizona game questioning a lot of different things. And so psychologically, I almost wonder if they're a little compromised and, you know, Oregon comes home. They've been playing so well at home all years, all year. Um kind of feels like the perfect recipe for for a bloodbath it does and it also can in one you know alternate universe feel like the perfect recipe for an emotional letdown for the ducks so you know for before the season started i i had washington state pegged as the biggest trap game because we all know the emotions that go into the husky game and i thought win or lose you could have it you could have a spot here that is just ripe for an emotional letdown a sluggish start you know, whether you're feeling really high after a win or feeling down after a loss, of course, it's the second one. But my concerns have been completely thwarted on that front, Eric. And listening to the quotes coming out of practice, the tone and tenor of, you know, not just what guys are saying, but how they're saying it as well. I think that, and Marcus Harper kind of uh, touched on this, it's not a locker room that feels to me, and I want your thoughts on it, that they're they're mad and going at one another and frustrated about the outcome, it feels more like a focused determination and using that that anger and frustration as a springboard to kind of propel their season forward. That, that That's how I feel about it from the outside. 
and and also even being at practice, like not that it was significantly different. If you've listened to me talk about watching practice in the past, you understand how limited all of that experience is. It's like eight minutes of stretch and four minutes of position drills and we're out of there. But like even even the way they carried themselves in those, like I buy into the fact that there was more juice this week, just based upon the limited stuff that we saw. And then to your point about, you know, the concerns about fracturing a locker room or having, you know, players with at each other's throats and on different minds. Like I, I think one of the things that you stands out in a positive way is just like how similar everyone's opinion of the past 24 and 48 hours were when we talked with them of just like, yeah, people didn't want to leave the HDC on Sunday. That was their day off. But a lot of the guys spent the whole day over there. And then on Monday, Dan said, hey, this isn't usually a fully padded practice. Do we want it to be a fully padded practice? And the guys were like, yeah, let's go do it. And as Harper said, like, we, we had anger we wanted to take out. Like, and they didn't, they didn't want to just sit by on a Monday and kind of go through the motions. They wanted to, like, get back to work immediately. So, um, you know, when all the accounts are so similar, right, like, what you worry about things is where you talk to four guys and you get four different answers or you get a couple of different like, oh, we think this. And then a couple of other guys think something that's kind of the opposite or doesn't quite track. Like everybody to a person basically this week has talked about how intense Monday was, how how Tuesday was a, another really good work day and, and how that they feel like they're turning a corner there. You know, and Dorless even said, like, you're not going to move by this immediately. Like there's going to be a couple of days where it's hard because this loss is, is not easy for anybody. But I, I think you're going to see this team really kind of fully invested in, in improvement this week and, and showing that I think on, on Saturday, that'll be the culmination of it all. So I think emotionally we agree they're in the right mindset. And the reason I also feel this is a good matchup for the Ducks is Washington State's biggest weakness this year has been their offensive line play. And defensively, they have been better against the pass than they have against the run. It, it depends on which game you look at, but certainly – you can run on Washington State, and their offensive line has had problems. And Washington State is a much better team than Colorado, but stylistically, I see a lot of similarities there. You have an O-line that I think Oregon's defensive front, which has been really good this year, could absolutely maul. I mean, UCLA just completely shut them down. They've run for 47 yards combined in the last couple of weeks. It's all through their quarterback, just like Colorado was. You have, excuse me, good receivers. I don't think you have you know, Roma Dunze and, and Jalen Polk out there on on the outside, though Kyle Williams and Josh Kelly are good wide receivers, no doubt. But when you look at all those factors and the way that Oregon has run the ball, the way that Oregon State ran the ball on the Cougs up in Pullman, those are kind of the three things I look at and go, I, I think this matchup sets real. I think this is a bad matchup for Washington State. And I feel good about where Oregon's headspace is at right now to boot. Agree with all the points you made there in terms of the the benefit Oregon has going to this matchup against Washington state. Like it is, there is a lot of, like we talk a lot about good on good. There are some good on bad matchups that are in Oregon's favor this week. And there aren't very many the other way. Um, I don't know if there really is one. I, I, I think to me, I, I'd be really surprised if Oregon offensively doesn't come out and just do what it's done all year. I mean, they've averaged 600 yards per game at home, like 60 points. Like, not that I think they're going to reach those thresholds necessarily, but like, the reality is when Oregon's played at home this year, the offense has been has taken care of business. So the defense has too. But I, I think for Washington State to hang around, like they're gonna need Cam Ward to do some just crazy stuff. I mean, you you kind of laid it out there, but with the way that front has been playing, with the lack of a push they've had, with really just the lack of a run game in general, like 
I feel like there could be kind of a Oregon Colorado redux here a little bit in terms of like, is it a game where if Cam Ward can't get the ball out like immediately, he's on his backside every time or running around for his life. And it just ends up being a scramble drill where he has to make something really special happen for the Washington days to have success. Like that's, if you're the Cougars, I think that's the fear is that you, you get into this one and you go, well, Oregon's scoring every time they have the football or they're moving the ball like crazy on. So we really can't slow them down. And I do expect that to be the case just based upon how Oregon's played on that side of the ball. When we have the ball, there's a lot of pressure on our shoulders. We can't run the football. Oregon's guys on the outside are doing a good job on, on our top receivers. And it just ends up being, can Cam Ward to get away from Jordan Birch, Brandon Dorless, and all of this pressure every down. And maybe he makes a couple crazy things happen. He rolls out, extends the play, a receiver gets some separation downfield a couple times. And, and you go, oh man, like he's just making stuff happen. But I think there's also a world where it's very similar to that Colorado game where he's not able to make much happen. There isn't players that, that, that get open for him and he's just getting hit after hit after hit. And, and that's where some of the turnover issues you've seen with Washington State of late kind of enter the picture too. They've had nine turnovers. They've lost nine the last three games. That's, that's a recipe for, for defeat. Yeah, if you if you come into Austin Stadium and and turn the ball over, I think with the way Oregon's offense is playing, I mean they had what over 540 yards against the uh, against the Huskies on Saturday, and that was on the road. I would be surprised if they didn't have at least 450. I mean, at least 450 yards of, of total offense. Uh, the Ducks, that is, on on Saturday at Austin. What else is there to watch for? So so many things. There's also to watch out for the fact that this episode is brought to you by BetterHelp. So if you're thinking about starting therapy, you should give BetterHelp a try. Because if you feel like your brain is getting in its own way, maybe you're rooting too hard for Oregon football and you need to develop a more healthy relationship, which is certainly how I felt on a Saturday afternoon. And you know what you should do, but you don't know how exactly to do it. Therapy helps you figure out what's holding you back so you can work for yourself instead of against yourself. BetterHelp is entirely online. It's designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. So go make your brain, brain your friend with BetterHelp. Visit betterhelp.com slash locked on college. Get 10% off your first month. That's betterhelp, B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P.com slash locked on college. Go give therapy a try. Again, that is entirely online. Today's episode is also brought to you by FanDuel, which by the way, Eric has got Oregon at around a 20 point favorite right now and i i am such a sucker for getting an outsized sense of confidence because of a gambling line but as i will get to later in uh, today's show i like all you guys over at Odds and audibles think oregon is going to uh, cover that particular number if you want to bet that you most definitely can over at fanduel america's number one sportsbook right now new customers can get two hundred dollars in bonus bets guaranteed when you place a five dollar bet that's two hundred dollars in bonus bets whether you win or lose. They have spreads, player props, over-unders, and more. So visit FanDuel.com slash on. Kick off the NFL season and get all your college football gambling action as well. FanDuel, official partner of the NFL. Glad I have Eric here today so I don't have to talk so much because sometimes I just... <laughs> whew, boy, sometimes I wear myself out. Okay, let's talk about on the Oregon side of things, Eric. I only had one concern offensively going into that Washington game, and it was... Hey, we, we played one power five team on the road. Texas Tech has a good front seven, didn't run the ball well. Then they went up to Washington and it was kind of the same story as last year, which is Bucky Irving hates to be tackled. Jordan James is really good and the offensive line can block really well. So 
now that they've I, I've seen that and the pass blocking numbers are not quite as good as last year, but that was an unreasonable standard. It was like one sack through the first six or seven games, and they've allowed just four through six games this year, which is outstanding. Yep. I have no reservations about this offense because I think they are balanced. They are explosive. They push the ball down the field. They can do whatever they want. They can be pass heavy. They can be run heavy. They can be balanced. Like, is there anything left for this offense to prove to have the full faith and confidence of the Oregon fan base? I guess right now, maybe it's just converting on fourth down. I mean, I hate to say that. And and, yeah. and I say that sort of in jest because they came into that game, one of the top 10 teams on fourth down. They're eight of 10 coming into the Washington game. They went 0-3 this last game, obviously in some really big spots where you can probably convert one of those. The game ends up differently. I mean, I mean, especially if you, if you convert the last one, yeah, it's over. it does. So um, that's, that's the first thing that pops to my head. I mean, like not really. I mean, I, I think I ran through this stat over on our podcast this morning about just the offense. Like I think they've had three home games this year and all three of them, they've opened the game with like an 80% touchdown conversion rate on their first seven drives. Like, I think it was like nine straight against Portland State. It was like six of seven against Hawaii and maybe five of seven against Colorado. I might have those inverted. I don't remember for sure. But like they've just scored the ball with such ease and success at home that like it's there's not a whole lot to pick apart. And as you said, like it's not just like, oh, they are such a dominant run team. Like who knows what happens if a team can shut that down and like do they have a counter punch? Like they they clearly do. Bonix is also like the most accurate quarterback in the country. Like he's been incredible this whole season in terms of running the offense the questions on like some of the deep ball passes like i get that that's going to be a concern those are just in general lower percentage completions than everything else because the ball has to travel more he had some great balls this last game against washington so like, i don't know exactly where you really have concerns like i have a couple individual matchups in this game that i wouldn't necessarily categorize as concerns but to me are like things to watch but in general, going into this one, I think really going into everyone, Utah might be a bit of a challenge just because of how good that defense is. I look at the schedule remaining here and go, like, I'm not going to be surprised if Oregon scores like 40 or more in just about every single one of these games. Yeah, that, that that's how I feel as well. You know, Oregon State's defense has been really good at home, has not been good on, on the road so far, and we'll see how that plays out over the course of the season. Arizona State has got a good defense, but they don't have the talent – I think, to match up with Oregon. USC's defense is still, last time I checked, coached by Alex Grinch, so I'm not super-duper concerned there. Utah is certainly the one that, uh, that that worries me the most. But let's get to some of the matchups in this particular game and kind of uh, what to watch for. If you're Washington State, you know, Brandon Jackson and Ron Stone Jr. are in their eighth years of college football, respectively, um, which is only half of a joke because they're actually in their sixth, which is pretty pretty amazing though i do play by play for southern utah and our quarterback justin miller began his college career in 2016 which is um pretty yeah it's something it's it is it is it is something it's a van wilder approach to college football i guess (laughs) it's um you know what the rules are the rules nobody's breaking them that's just the way that things have uh played out at, at this point in time but i think stone and jackson are good players and they're going up against uh, a couple of good tackles in, in Josh Connerly and Johnny Cornelius, especially has, has had a, go- a good season. I expect Connerly to continue uh, getting better. And this is certainly a really, really good matchup for him uh, uh, once again to, you know, kind of prove his mettle. Cause last week against 
Braylon Trice. I know the PFF grade was really low, but I don't think that that was I, – I, like I, like I often say, stats are a starting point and not an end point, and that is definitely not the end point because if it was actually as bad as that grade reflected, Eric, and I wonder if you agree with this, Bonix would have been under pressure the entire day and certainly wouldn't have been able to go for almost 340 yards. Weren't you just stunned seeing how low the grade was? It was like lower than 20 on pass blocking. Yeah, it was like a 13. And, and to your point, like I look at PFF grades, and I think on the whole, over the course of a season, I usually feel like I agree with a lot of it. Mm-hmm. Individual game grades, there have been times this year where I'm like, wait, Oregon ran for like 250 yards in that game, but the run blocking grade across the board was like 60. And I'm like, so is it just Bucky Irving and Jordan James are amazing, which is probably – could be the compelling argument for it, but like I just don't get it. So I felt the same way looking at that. And and even when I did my full rewatch of the game, like I, I can see the case for like Connerly didn't play fantastic. Like Trice had him a couple times off the edge. The PFF did have him at I think six total pressures allowed, but Nix was like touched three times the entire game and sacked once. It's not like a game where you can and part and again, a lot of the credit here is is like Bo is like, why does he not get sacked? Like part of it is they've had really good offensive line. Part of it is he's really smart pre-snap and gets him in the right set, you know, the right situations with his with his checks. And the other part is he's really athletic and has great pocket awareness. Like everything is kind of working together there. But to your point, like if if Connolly was just atrocious in that game, I feel like we would look at the box score and be like, oh, well, Nick's got sacked like six times. Like that that was the problem. And he was sacked one time, I think. One time, and it was like yeah. kind of like I don't know, like the really the one of the only a few times he was really pressured. So. I'm in agreement there, but I do think this is a, another big matchup. Stone and Jackson, they rotate them, but Stone's been primarily facing left tackles from what the data tr- suggests this year. And I think this is another opportunity. That was one of the matchups that I'm kind of kind of keyed in on here because these are two of the better edge players in the conference. Spencer said two of the more experienced ones for sure. Uh, sixth year for both of these guys. like, And Josh Carnley, this is his what seventh game he started at this level. So mm-hmm. like, it, it is inexperience versus experience. Josh, I imagine, I don't know if he's looked at PFF grades or whatnot or what the, t- the team has assessed, how they've assessed his performance, but I'm sure he's not thrilled with how we play. This is an opportunity for him to get right. So, yeah, that's one I'm, I'm certainly kind of focused in on on that side of the football. And, and just one more really quick is, is Shaw Smith-Wade, the, the top corner for Washington State. One of really the good. Corners, one of the better corners Oregon's going to face all season, probably the best to this point. Like, And the point I made on our podcast earlier was no one should expect Troy Franklin to be – completely eliminated from a game he's just, you know he's too good for that essentially at this point he's, he, i think he's immune to like a game where he gets like two catches for 10 yards but like if they're able to limit him a little and he goes three for 60 or three for 55 or four for 60 or something my question will be like who's the next guy to emerge like does bo have somebody else like does just gary bryant step up and have a hundred yard game like he did in the opener i, I just that would be the, the thing I would be curious on. Not that I'm concerned that Washington State's going to shut down the Oregon pass attack, but if they are able to take away Franklin better than anyone else has to this point, like what's the counter? Who who kind of emerges there for for, for Bo? Yeah, I, I think that's a great matchup offensively between two guys who will probably be on the all-conference teams and in, in the NFL uh, next season. I don't remember what year uh, Smith Wade is, but he's draft eligible. Okay, yeah. So I, it, it seems like those are both guys who are, are going to wind up, I mean, Franklin certainly, in, in the league next year. But what about on the other side of the ball? What about Oregon's defense against a couple of really good 
Washington State wide receivers. They're not Roma Dunze, but still they can make uh, some really, really good plays as Oregon State learn. And you will learn how great bird dogs are if you just go get your next pair because they make you look good and their stretch khaki shorts are designed to fit slimmer through the thigh and leg, giving you a truly sculpted look. Bird dog shorts do the exact same thing as Lululemon, but fit way better they fit better than regular shorts too they're made of a stiff restricting cotton so go get your next pair today which you can wear literally anywhere you could wear them to the Oregon game on saturday if you'd like great tailgating uh environment that they provide for you and they can be worn in the water they can be worn on the golf course anywhere that you want go to bird birddogs.com slash locked on college or enter promo code locked on college at checkout for a free bird dogs water bottle with your order that's birddogs.com slash locked on college for a free water bottle at checkout you won't want to take your bird dogs off we promise you well i do my best to keep all of you on your toes but eric i feel like i just shocked you going straight into that live read <laughs> right right there i think i i think i got a little bit of a of a reaction there for those listening on podcast so <laughs> not gonna lie i feel pretty pretty good about that i also well done uh, feel pretty good about Oregon's defense here. And look, Kyle Williams and, and Josh Kelly, these are not slouch receivers. These are guys who can make plays. Josh Kelly, go, go watch the highlights of the Oregon State-Washington State game. Yep. Josh Kelly makes two of the craziest one-handed catches you're going to see all season, and he did it twice. And once was for a touchdown, and once was, I think, a third-down conversion. Like, DB is draped all over him, and he just, like, reaches out with one hand and pulls it from basically behind the defender's back. Like, these are talented guys, and I think that after performing well last week in the secondary, Oregon's defense is ready for this sort of matchup. You certainly can't take these guys lightly, but, I mean, they're not Roman Dunze. They're not Jalen McMillan, who didn't play a lot, or, or, or Jalen Polk for sure, but still, I feel confident in Oregon's secondary here. It's still a great matchup because that is the strength of this Washington State team is, you know, it's Cameron Ward but he's not throwing the ball to, to tight ends or running backs a whole heck of a lot. It, it, it's he, he wants to go to the wide receivers. My, my biggest like thing I'm interested in is like, who's actually out there from a personnel perspective, you know, and not, not that I'm not, even, I'm not even talking about injuries. I'm talking about like what choices is this staff making? Cause they opened the game obviously with Kyrie and Jaleel, Jaleel and Kyrie both kind of got enough, uh, nicked up over the course of the game. Jaleel wasn't really able to finish the game, but, they also rotated through Dante Manning and Nico Reed, and they kind of settled on Triquez to close the game. And I personally thought he played pretty dang well. Like you go back awesome. and like go back and watch like the the degree of difficulty on that touchdown for for a Dunze. That's just like elite, elite ball placement, elite, elite eye hand coordination from a Dunze to pull it in. And like Triquez is like an eighth of a second from getting there and maybe impeding the pass, and maybe the game goes slightly differently. So. Like, did Bridges do enough on Saturday where he goes from being somebody who was playing, like, basically mop-up duty for most of the season to being somebody who plays a significant role? Do we see a change in the starting lineup? I don't know if we see that necessarily because I think Kyrie and Jaleel, to me, still are the, the two best corners. But, like, back-to-back games here now against Stanford and Washington where the Ducks have gone away from those top two guys, you know, once I guess, kind of both times because of some of the health stuff. And the guys who've replaced them have played really well. I mean, Dante Manning and Nico Reed played great in the second half against Stanford. And so, like, that's one of the real positive things if, if for about this Oregon team is you have, like, five legitimate corners that I think you feel comfortable playing. And the fact that they played all five of them against Washington and settled on Triquez to be the one of the guys out there to finish it, I'll be curious to see, like, does he get a little bit more involved? Does he potentially become the, th- the, 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 the third corner or the first one off the bench there? 
um, because he hasn't been in that role previously. And then to your point about this matchup, like, yeah, they, they are going to need to play well on the outside there. And I'm, I'm pretty confident they'll be able to win those battles just because athletically this is not quite what Adunze, Polk, and McMillan are in terms of just size and speed and, and all those things. But these aren't slouch receivers either. Washington State or Oregon State can attest to that. Both these guys had like 150 yards in that one. Yeah, and Cam Ward went for over 400 yards in that game. And, and Washington State goes as Cam Ward goes. I talk about this all the time over on uh, Locked On Pac-12 about, you know, Washington State and USC this year are actually built in similar fashion. Uh, Wazoo's just had a tougher schedule, and USC has a little bit more uh, talent on on the roster. But if their quarterback isn't playing an outstanding football game, they do not have the team around him to continue to perform at a high level. If Bo Nix were to have a game where he is only completing 60% of his passes, he throws two interceptions and whatnot. Like take the Washington State game last year, for instance. Bo Nix throws a pick six down in the red zone. Oregon couldn't finish the game into touchdowns. Still find still found a way. They couldn't finish drives into touchdowns. They still found a way to win because they can run the ball and their defense can make enough plays. Washington State and USC don't have that. And it's one of the reasons I really like the Ducks in the Pac-12 championship landscape right now. They have to win out, of course, but I think that that is possible. How do you look at this challenge, Eric, of containing Cameron Ward? Because history shows you over the last two seasons, if you contain Cameron Ward, if you keep him you know, under 230 yards passing and a turnover or two, you're, you're going to win the game. The last two weeks really illustrate that for Washington State, I think, right? I mean, under 200 yards passing in both, one touchdown, I think three picks. This is a guy who, in their four wins, hadn't thrown a pick, had been completing a really high percentage of his passes, had thrown for more than 300 yards, I think, in every game, and more than 400 in a couple. So, yeah, no, I, I, I like that. US. I hadn't heard that, that Caleb Williams, Cam Ward kind of comparison. I, I like that just in terms of what they mean to their team. And I, I like Oregon in this game in terms of what they can do. And we've already sort of talked about the pressure that we've seen previously. Um, UCLA with Latu is probably the most dynamic edge Latu player is in this conference. So freaking good. <laughs> that guy um, is so good. Oregon doesn't have that, but they've got a lot of guys who can mm-hmm. cause problems. They don't have a, I don't know if they have a guy who's going to get, I think it was like 10 or 11 pressures Latu was credited for in that game along with some sacks. I don't know if Oregon's got a, an individual who can do that, but I think collectively like Oregon has – certainly shown this year that they have far more dynamic pass rushers, far more guys who can make an issue for Cam. And as I said earlier, like if the recipe here is let's play tight man coverage on the outside, which is what teams have done with some success recently against Washington State, and then bring four, five, or six and just make life difficult on Ward and don't let him get out of the tackle box and make force it to where he has to make two or three guys miss in the pocket and then throw the ball across his body downfield to have any success. Like, that's just going to be – I don't think that's like a thing you can expect to rely a quarterback to do over the course of 60 minutes against an offense that's going to make it so most of your drives have to end in touchdowns. So I, I do like Oregon in, in Oregon's defense this week against Ward and, and, and what they challenges they provide. And The big the big difference would be if, if Washington State could counter with a run game of some sort. But as you said, the last two weeks, like below 35 yards or 35 and 12 Four, I think. 47 total yards rushing yeah. in two games Bucky Irving might surpass that on his own in the first quarter Probably. if he if, if he gets a 15 to 20 yarder mixed in there so yeah so I if, if they can counter with some sort of a run game and they can find a way to manufacture that maybe words involved maybe they go back and do a little copycat and say hey teams 
Texas Tech really had some success running the football with its quarterback. Washington State traditionally doesn't really run it like that with, with Ward, but maybe they're able to, to manufacture some of that and create some sort of a run game. That could make it interesting. But if this, if this is what I think it's going to be, which is just Ward on an island having to make heroic play after heroic play, I just think that's hard to expect that to be sustained for four quarters. Yeah, I agree. Before we get to our predictions, uh, an interesting question here that came in via the mailbag, which is always open YouTube comments or hit me up on Twitter at smalls underscore 55 or at locked on ducks. Join the locked on ducks uh, insiders over on subtext if you want priority mailbag questions. But uh, these two questions came in one from at Marley Fauprez, which whatever does it for you, man. I know we're in the middle of the season. Riddle me this. What's the next step at quarterback in 2024 is tie up next. And then another question came in was surrounding whether or not Ty Thompson should get live game action and reps the way that the Beavs are doing with Aiden Childs right now, who, while the game is in question, Aiden Childs is getting a series or two, which is curious to say the least, Eric. I I don't know if they should go that particular route, but what do you, what do you make of, you know, the potential of giving Ty a drive to see the, that sort of action for 2024 and then what do you make of the quarterback room right now as we look ahead to next season in the middle of this season, of course? I think the quarterback situations are very different at Oregon and Oregon State for a couple of reasons. One, Bo Nick still has a chance to win a Heisman Trophy. I think you want him on the field as much as possible I to try to achieve something like that. You also are in a position where, I don't know if it'll come to this, but it might end up being kind of a a beauty contest, if you will, at the end of like, there could be the last spot in the college football playoff. Let's say Oregon wins out, plays and beats Washington in the college or in the conference championship game, where you could be a one lost Oregon team against a one loss, I don't know, Florida state or a one loss Texas or something like that. And it might come down to like how impressive you're playing games. And, and I know that's not fair, but like to me, Oregon has more is more motivated by having Bo Nix in particular play and play well. And then the other part, which I think kind of gets to the first question in, in, as well, is like Childs is pretty sure to be their guy at, at Kim Corvallis. Like they think they've landed a special talent. Like there was talk in spring and fall of like, is he going to start over DJU? Like, I, and I, obviously that didn't happen. But like, I think there's a lot of like kind of rumblings that like once Uyunglele is gone, like Childs is the guy. And that might be as soon as next season. I'm not totally convinced and like, it's, it's a weird – you can talk to yourself in a couple of different directions with Oregon's quarterback situation in 24. But I'm just like, as much as I want it to be Ty because it would be a great way to end his story or at least that next chapter of like this guy waited patiently in an era when nobody waits and this is his fourth year and now he's getting an opportunity. This was a, obviously the school's like most highly rated high school recruit. He, he bided his time. He developed behind Bo, behind Anthony Brown, behind three different quarterbacks coaches we have to acknowledge. It would be great if it got there. I also just think the reality is, is like Oregon is going to be motivated to have really high-end quarterback play next year, and I don't know if you're really comfortable having a growing pain year at quarterback. And if there is something that's more ready available in the portal, maybe you look that route. I would love for it to be Ty Thompson, but I'm, I'm not convinced that it will be. But the hard part that gets weird, Spencer, is like does Oregon want to carry five scholarship quarterbacks in 24? Because you have to realize they've got – Novasad and Thompson on the roster, and then they've got the two prep guys, and maybe they won't, maybe one of those guys won't sign. But if you have four scholarship quarterbacks already set, and this is where I, you could kind of go via both minds. Like, 
does that kind of tip the hand that maybe they aren't going to go portal too hard because they don't want to carry five? I don't know. Five just feels like a lot of scholarship quarterbacks. So I, I guess I've answered it both different ways, Spencer. Um, multiple choice, but uh, um, I, I, I think more than likely they'll end up utilizing the portal. It's just I get, I get, I do, I do give a little pause when you go. That's a lot of scholarships to equip for one position, especially that one. Yeah, I mean, I think they're either anticipating that one of the scholarship guys either, you know, won't sign from the high school ranks or Ty or Novus had maybe would transfer out if they had a chance to start elsewhere. I think Ty would be the more likely of the two because Novus had is still, you know, much, much, much newer to uh, the quarterback room. And this will be a, a really fascinating offseason discussion. I mean, if I bet you this will be, you know, leading my show three to four days a week. And <laughs> we go Monday through Friday here at Locked on Ducks. Like that, that is going to be the biggest uh, topic of conversation. The other difference too, Eric, is I think that Oregon is going to give Ty Thompson a chance, but I don't think they are actively in the pursuit of trying to keep him from transferring because he is, you know, clearly committed to trying to be Oregon starter one day. Whereas Aiden Childs is playing on a team that as of now is going to play in the pack two or the mountain West in 2024. And he has got way more talent than that. And a power five school, I'm sure would love to scoop him up. I think that's part of the calculation as well for Jonathan Smith mm-hmm. is they don't want the kid to just yeah. completely sit there and they want to make it as clear as possible to him. You are our guy for next year and we are committed to you and we want you to be ready for that. And we're showing you that by giving you, you know, a, a drive here and there. They did it against Cal. They did it against uh, UCLA. He threw a touchdown uh, against UCLA. It was an easy pitching catch, but he, he does look uh, really, really good. Let's wrap up with uh, our predictions Eric, uh, real quick, I've got Oregon winning and covering that 20-point spread provided by our friends over at uh, FanDuel. Ducks 44 and the Cougs 20 is my final score prediction. I'm laughing because I'm almost identical. I have 45-20. So, well, uh, you know what? I just prices righted you. That's that's you what ju- that's what just happened. Is when the final score is 41 to 20, I will be the more correct one because I went full prices right here. So I'm really on board with ending the show right there. That's an optimistic note for me. Eric Scopel, 24/7 Sports, Austin Audible's podcast. Eric, appreciate it. Yeah, no problem. Have me on anytime, Spencer. It's a fun time. Appreciate everyone listening. I'll see you next time. Have a wonderful rest of your day. Talk to you after the game and go Ducks.